Small business owners, you struggling with a day-to-day most days, thinking of finding an out? We're all going to retire one day, one way or another. So let's get real about the best ways to grow and exit with a wad of dough. More than theory, Chris and Doug cover real ways to make it happen on your terms. On your terms. Hello, everybody. We have Jack Gruber with us today. And I met Jack several years ago, um, and he was in the room. And I still picture you um, kind of playing this role in a room full of people, Jack, in that you know things that people don't about capital gains tax. And so I remember you going around the room like, you guys, you're paying too much in taxes. You have options. You have these things. And I remember learning about some of the things that you do. And even though I feel like it is pretty complicated. It's something that you do for people to um, help them work in the environment of all these capital gains tax rules. So I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about that today. Absolutely. I'd love to love to talk to you about it. So first, tell me about the firm name and what your services are. Well, my firm name sounds a little strange. It's Jmar Analytics, and it's <laughs> Quite honestly, it's the first part of my name and my wife's name. It's an old LLC we had. But what I specialize, I retired uh, about six years ago and failed retirement. And so I took up the gauntlet of helping business owners that were selling their businesses and or real estate. There are about nine core tax deferral options. And over the years, I watched people make not not bad decisions, they made uninformed decisions because they were not aware of all the various tax deferral approaches they could take. And so people started asking me, well, which is the best deferral? There is no such thing as the best deferral. Each one of the deferral options serves a different purpose. So what I look for, how I help someone is to understand what it is they're trying to accomplish once they sell and then helping them select the deferral option that best suits their situation. Some of those I can help them implement, some of those I cannot, but I know where to send them for competent help on the ones that I don't deal with. Yeah, okay. Well, but let's start with the, the, how does it normally work? How do sellers normally pay taxes on a business that they're selling? Well, when you sell the business, you're going to end up with capital gains taxes. Now, what the rate of capital gains tax is, is going to determine how much you have to pay in tax. Capital gains taxes uh, theoretically can range all the way from zero on the federal side to 20%. In addition to that, you have what's called an NII or net investment income tax of 3.8% on uh, assets over a quarter of a million dollars. And how you pay this is when you file your taxes, you will have your accountant will fill out the form necessary for having sold an asset for which you receive capital gains. And your capital gains rates will be figured on the size of your sale and the construction of your sale. For instance, if you're selling, just one side note, if you're selling a business, you want as much as possible to be blue sky and as little as possible to be equipment. 
And there's some reasons in the tax law for doing it that way. I won't, I could babble for an hour about that. It's not really necessary here, but the structure of the sale itself is important. And then when you pay your taxes, you're going to pay at a tax rate on the capital gains, hopefully lower than your ordinary income tax rate. That's the purpose of it. Got it. Now, in your language, you were saying blue sky. And when we do allocations, we think of it as, you know, goodwill and leasehold improvements. That's, but that's a but that's a sign. That, um, that's, that's, that's the same animal. Yeah, it's the same blue thing. Sky. Yeah. Anything but equipment. And uh, so lots of lots of variations on that. OK, so recently there's been some changes around in Washington state anyway, around how capital gains are treated. Can you give us an overview? Yes. And um, two years ago, the Congress and the governor put into effect a 7% capital gains add-on for the state. Now, Washington up to this point has been one of only nine states in the union that did not have an add-on. Well, we added on 7%. And then in March, I believe it was March of 2022, a lawsuit was brought against the tax in Douglas County, it was called the Quinn Clayton versus the state of Washington. The fundamental argument is that the state claims that the tax is an excise tax. The uh, filers of the motion claim that it is an income tax. Well, under state law, if it is an income tax, it has to go before the voters. And of course, it's highly improbable that it would pass. If it is an excise tax, then the it can be legislated. That is the fight before the state Supreme Court. Now, in November of last year, November 30th, a very peculiar thing happened that we're all trying to figure out. And that is that even though a decision has not a final decision has not been made by the state Supreme Court. The state Supreme Court instructed the Department of Revenue that starting in February of this year, they could begin to administer and collect the 7% tax on all sales going back to January 1 of 2022. Wow. Now, this includes all asset sales with the exception of real estate. It does not include real estate because the state of Washington, we already have an excise tax. It's a graduated excise tax on the sale of real property. But all other assets, businesses, collectibles, partnerships, uh, uh, intellectual property, such as a patent, all of those are assets that would incl be included in this additional 7%. So my now understanding the, is that the last, the Superior Court ruled that it was unconstitutional. So it's really sitting in an uncertain place until the Supreme Court rules on it. But until then, they're going to go ahead and collect the tax anyway and refund it if the Supreme Court uh, finds that it is indeed unconstitutional, which seems so backwards that I've I've never, I, I can't imagine um, how that's going to work. But um, well, I... Before I before I got into the investment business 40 years ago, I was a city manager. Won't bore you with that whole story, but I've been through a number of legislative and court adjustments and changes. And I have never seen one like this, where on one hand, the Supreme Court is a decision is pending. 
yet the Supreme Court at the same time then gives instructions to implement the project without making a final decision. Sounds, sounds like a voter avoidance to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it it's really it's even stranger than that because it's really not avoidance of a voter avoidance because if they find it that it is an income tax, it's it's dead. It, mm. it simply goes away. And to put it into place, you would have to have a vote, uh, a, a popular vote of a new tax, which mm -hmm. probably not going to happen. Mm -hmm. If it is decided to be an excise tax, then it automatically is in place, and that's it, we go forward with the seven percent. So, it it's just very peculiar. It Never seen peculiar. one done quite like this. It it does make you believe, and I'm not suggesting this. I'm just observing. It does give you the impression that the Supreme Court may be leaning toward finding it as an excise tax. Mm -hmm. If they weren't, why would they suggest that you start going out and collecting the tax? At this I point? can't imagine. I can't it imagine. Doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't. Well, and we could go <laughs> on all day, but uh, the um, the bottom line is this, <clears> is it too late or should we have a moment of contact your governor or let's uh, legislate? Well, it's, it's, it's from that standpoint, it's probably too late. The law has already been established, and now it's just a court decision. And you're sending a suggestion to the Supreme Court uh, is probably not going to go either way. They, they probably won't even accept it per se, because it's not a political issue now. It's a pure legal issue. Got it. It's, okay. So we just have to treat it as an individual uh, on an individual by individual right. basis. So what well, options? Yes. Oh, so what options does an individual seller have uh, already in place that we could take advantage of? Well, to, let's deal with the tax itself. My suggestion to people would be uh, pay the tax at this point. Don't try to avoid the tax because if it is voided, if it is found to be an income tax, then your money is going to be returned to you. If it's found to be an excise tax, you probably will not have a penalty in interest, but you're going to have to dig up the money at that time to pay the, the past bill. So I would go ahead and pay it and then collect it back if, it, if the vote goes the other way. Overall, there's some options, however, for dealing with capital gains taxes, and that's where I spend most of my time. It is possible if you're selling a business, for instance, to actually receive your money at closing and defer your capital gains for up to 30 years. Now, what does that mean in simple math? Let's imagine that you've got a, uh, let's say, a, we'll just make this real simple math. Let's say you've got a $3 million sale and 33% of your tax, which is about average, is going to go to capital gains taxes. Well, rather than handing Uncle Sam that million dollars, you get to keep it for the next 30 years, invest it, and then pay your, your tax at the end of the 30-year period. Over 30 years, if you had no more than, say, a 5% net rate of return, your multiple would be, I believe it's about 574. So your million dollars would turn into 5740 You'd pay the tax, and then you would still have an additional pocket of money you made. Happily, that's the kind of things I, I help people uh, determine and work with them and their CPA to see if uh, a deferral makes sense for their particular selling situation. And I think the logical question the seller would have is, how do I get access to that money? Is it put away somewhere or do I is it liquid? 
it's the beauty of it is you literally get it at closing. It's it's yours. You get to put it in your pocket. There are some restrictions. You cannot use it to buy a primary residence as, as one example. Beyond that, you can invest the money any way you want. Now, if all you're going to do is put the money under the mattress, then you'd be better just pay the tax now. But if you would like to be able to invest that money, buy a business, buy another piece of real investment real estate, put it in the stock market, buy treasury bills, all of those things you can do with the money for the next 30 years. So it, it can be, it's, it's basically a time value of money. You get access to the money for the next 30 years, as opposed to turning it over to Uncle Sam in the year of the sale. So do you pay the taxes at the end of the 30 years in today's dollar taxes or do do is it recalculated in the in at 30 years? You you pay the taxes when you have constructive receipt of the money. In this case you're going the way it's set up and I'm not going to try to take you through the mechanics of this but you're going to have constructive receipt of the money in 30 years. So the tax could be higher, it could be lower. But if you actually sit down and do a time value of money equation, the tax rate would have to quadruple in order for you not to end up ahead in this thing, in this mm -hmm. process. So it's it's um, you've got 30 years. It's, it's a very valuable tool used correctly. It's sort of the old joke about the rich keep getting richer. This is how they do it. They you know want to join that party. Them. This they know how to utilize tax code. And it's not loopholes. This is specific tax code that allows you to do these type of deferrals. Got it. I can understand your enthusiasm for trying to reach people because if only they knew they would be doing these programs to begin with. You mentioned early that the nine, there were like nine different kinds of options. Are you speaking of one of the nine when you're talking about this 30 year deferral? I, in that case, I'm talking about one of the nine because the, the options fall into categories. Uh, there's a, group of, of options which are referred to as the exchange options. In the world of real estate, you've heard of the 1031 exchange, there's a 1033 exchange, there's a 721 uh, umbrella REIT, there's a Delaware statutory trust. Then under installment sale regulations, there's another series, and this comes falls there. And the reason I picked that one is because today, if you're selling a business, not the real estate, but the business itself, since 2017, the change in the law, you can no longer use 1031 exchange or exchange regulations for a sale. We use installment regulations. So that's why. And then there's some more. There's the economic opportunity zone regulations. And then there's a series of trust alternatives and, and a, uh, a number of ways you can approach that kind of a problem. So lot, there's lots of things you can do. If you have a, uh, a philanthropic uh, bone in your body and you want to give money away, you can utilize that as a tax deferral process also or okay. some combination of those options. Again, the thing I stress is two things. One, simply because you can do a tax deferral option doesn't mean you should do it. It comes down to a financial analysis. And that's really where I start with someone and their CPA figuring out, does it even make sense to do a deferral in this situation? And then if it does, the next question is, okay, what are you trying to accomplish with the money? And then we start looking at the various options and selecting one that best suits their needs. 
Well, and it sounds like out of these nine choices, you would want to do many of those things with your money anyway, after you sold your business, nobody tucks it under the mattress. They're either investing it in their, um, in philanthropic um, efforts or they're, you know, buying a next thing. And it sounds like all of those kinds of scenarios are better suited for one of these programs than just going ahead and doing it flat out. Absolutely. And a lot of the folks I work with are, uh, selling their business because they want to retire. And so mm -hmm. we look for investments. I I was in the investment arena for almost 40 years. I do not do investments, but I do help direct them, guide them, uh, either work with their investment advisor or select investment advisors for them. Because sometimes you want to invest the money and then live off the income from that money. So, there's lots of lots of options, lots of things you can do to put yourself in a more ad advantageous financial position. Well, we just opened the treasure chest of possibilities and we don't have enough time to cover all of them. But I think it's important that people know that they have options and uh, it would be a, a, a real shame for them to just go ahead and um, drop it into the capital gains bucket um, if they do have other options that match up with some of the programs. It sounds like the IRS is really set up to encourage certain behaviors to do with your money instead of necessarily paying it in taxes. What's the motivation behind some of these programs? Are they trying to drive behaviors in certain ways? Excellent question. Almost no one ever asked me that, it, but it's really fascinating. If you go back in history, the very first tax deferral option was done in 1913 and it was called the 453. And I won't take you through the whole history of that, but the fundamental reason is that for economic behavior, often the we'll, we'll make up a scenario. Husband and wife have owned an apartment building for 20 years. They, they, they've done 1031 exchanges, but now they want to get their money out. But they, they look at the potential tax bill and they say, oh, my gosh, why that, I'm going to pay a lot of taxes. And so they end up doing nothing, just sitting there. Well, imagine a building that's been around for 20 or 30 years. A new buyer comes in, upgrades the building, expands, maybe more uh, jobs are created. Everyone wins. Mm -hmm. So to incent the seller to participate in this exercise, the government started providing not avoidance of tax. These are not avoiding the tax, but deferring the tax, giving you a better situation, a better use of the time value of money and allowing you and the marketplace to win through this sale and the growing economic value. And I think the takeaway is these are not illegal programs. These are not loopholes. These are not um, avoiding taxes. Like you said, I think everybody, you know, is leery uh, when it sounds too good to be true, but you uh, you have shown me many times the um, the IRS regulations that allow you to do these things. So I feel like people shouldn't be uh, weary or leery of this kind of a program um, and talking with you. you. You'll always reassure them of the legalities of it. Well, I, I will try to reassure them, but equally, I will take them back in time as to why people are scared about the loopholes. And what can happen, because that did take place back in the 70s and early 80s when a bunch of lawyers got together and figured out because of the convoluted nature of tax law and 26,000 pages, they figured out ways that you could create an environment where 
you could invest $100,000 and write off half a million. So for high net worth individuals, that was very enticing. However, there was virtually no economic value in it. So when the IRS came down on that in 1986, it, it created considerable chaos. And so today, I still face that problem with people, particularly with CPA, saying, oh, my gosh, this must be a one of those tax loopholes. This is not a loophole. These are specific tax regulations. And one of the first questions you have to ask, is there true economic value in this transaction? That determines its legitimacy before the, the, uh, the tax court. Absolutely. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a this is a really important thing that you're doing in your retirement, and uh, I, I hope we can uh, reach a number of people to at least let them know that there are options. And like you said, there may not be one that's for them, but there. It sounds like to me that if you have nine choices, seems like one of those would be better than uh, than paying the full tax right off the bat. So. Yeah, it 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 will come down at the end to the the finances of the sale. The mm -hmm. size of the sale, how much you've got up front, what are your closing costs, et cetera. And sometimes I suggest to people, no, just pay the tax. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you look at it and say, no, it makes sense if you defer. And these are a couple of the deferral options that might best suit you. So I'm always happy to help people and answer those questions for them. That sounds good. So what happens first with people? They just call you, you spend a half hour on the phone with them, or how does it usually work with you? Yeah, that way they'll give me a call and I'll have some questions for them as it relates to the sale, what they're selling, how they're selling it, how it's structured. And sometimes we'll do a Zoom call. Sometimes we'll just get a cup of coffee and start the conversation. I like to get the CPA of the person involved fairly soon in that conversation because some of the work I do is not, it's not stuff that gets done every day. So a CPA may know how to do a 1031, but may not know much about a 721 or may know about a, Del a, a Delaware statutory trust, but may not know about an investment sales trust. So I have to do a little education and they can give me a much better picture of the client's financial uh, situation than virtually anyone else. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they'll speak your language. All right. So I'm going to put your uh, website and phone. Um, I'm not sure about your phone number, but your website um, in this audio podcast. But if you just since people are just listening uh, on their earbuds or their car, do you want to uh, just holler out your your phone or email or whatever you want to do? And then it's the easiest way for them to connect with you. Sure. My phone number is 425 seven one six zero and you can reach me at jack gruber jack dot gruber at jmaranalytics.com that's a rather complicated one so the other way you can do is just jack gruber four six at gmail.com i'll get it either way and then we can communicate from there Sounds and don't good. even if you're not interested if you just want to learn what the options are call me i'm happy to help someone just understand and you've helped so many people so far and um, i appreciate you very much so um yeah well we'll see you again here pretty soon and um i hope that this enlightened some folks who are thinking about selling very good well i hope it's of some benefit the worst thing you can do is simply be unaware that you had financial options and uh, walk right past them without knowing it so. yeah yeah absolutely all right
Thank you, Jack. And we'll thank see you, you, Chris. I'll thank you very much and uh, look forward to talking to you in the future. You too. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye bye. your business work for you and make some change set up time with doug or chris get 30 minutes with doug to plan your growth get 30 minutes with chris to plan your exit